Fola Olukumbi. Um in what seems to be a regular occurrence now. Um, I'm trying not to do these intros, but um, stuff keeps coming up. Um, in this case, it is the fact that we had some audio issue, issues in this episode. Um, the, especially the first 15 minutes, um, we got some really bad feedback for some reason. So I've been trying to desperately claw it back and sort of salvage it. So it sounds a bit off, especially the first 15 minutes. It smooths itself out. Um, but there's the sound is a bit echoey through the rest of the episode. Um, I hope you listen to the episode, though, because we did get into some really cool stuff. Um, I hope it all makes sense. I hope it's not just me babbling, which a lot of it is, I, I admit. But um, if there is anything that doesn't make sense or something you want me to clarify, then please drop us a line at any time. Um, yeah, and I think that's it, really. Um I just want to wish everyone, I hope everyone had a happy uh, Christmas season, uh, Merry Christmas season, and I hope it went well, and I hope you all have a happy new year, because we could all do with one after the last um, hellfire, unless you're some kind of weird um, trading person who's made billions out of other people's misery, but let's not go into that, <laughs> um, yeah, um, so I'll just leave it there before I get myself into trouble. Um, take it away, David Cabanara. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Old Fashioned Breakdown Podcast. A rewatch podcast for the knowing TV show and very self-aware Mad Men. My name is Fola Olakumbi, and I've seen the show a couple of times I like to look at it mainly from a meta point of view. I realise I don't like to look at it from a subtextual point of view. It's meta. Two different, totally different okay. Anyway. Um, My name is Helen Varley. I watched the episode about two hours ago. Uh, forgot most of it already. But yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of on board. I know all the characters' names now. <laughs> apart from the priests, who's I've forgotten already. Yeah. But anyway, we can go over that. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter, which is at breakdown underscore old, or email us on oldfashioned.breakdown at gmail.com. This episode is A Night to Remember, written by Matthew Weiner and Robin Vite. Do you remember who Robin Vite is? No. Robin Vite is the one that wrote the other one, the um, the new girl. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, all right. Well, in this episode, Betty's Stepford spell is broken after Don uses her as a lab rat in his quest for validation in front of an audience. Peggy's career skills ensure the critique of the church committee, despite having a priest on her side. And Joan finally sees an opportunity to be more than just a beauty, but finds herself crashing into a glass ceiling. So, Fola, let's start with you. What <laughs> do you think this episode is about? What do I think is about? Okay, um, so... <laughs> I'm laughing because I think this episode's about a lot of things. Like, like I said, you know, so this episode was initially written by um, this episode was written by Matthew Wino, who's obviously the big guy of the the showrunner, the whole thing, and um, Robin Veit, who wrote the very special episode, The New Girl, which was a very female orientated episode. Mm. It was all about kind of Peggy and like her sort of becoming a new person and all the women in the office and stuff. And basically, I think 
although I think okay, so it's hard to it's hard to describe that. I'm 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 not sure where to start with, but I'll say that I think the main a main part of this episode is about knowing stuff. I don't know if you got that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I yeah, okay, I can see that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of characters in the episode. A lot that know things. Basically, <laughs> well, the, the, they don't know things. Basically, like loads and loads of lines in the episode are about people not knowing what other people are thinking, and this kind of happened in the other episode as well that um, Robin Vite did, where it was like you know the viewpoint and stuff. But this episode is more about. Well, I think that was like about general gaze. I think this episode is more about women. And not knowing what mm. women want at all. And like nobody really knowing what women want. Um, and I didn't really want to go down that route because like another podcast kind of said the same thing. But it's kind of undeniable that there's this whole thing of like knowledge and there's this. Okay, so I'm going to just run through the list of buzzwords that I got from this episode. Right? Okay. And then we can just talk about it in general. Um so yeah so like we've got liaisons transference which is this thing between like which i'll talk about later but mm-hmm. awareness we've got um surprise not knowing lack of knowledge ambiguity um suggestion um lack of awareness research curiosity memory's a big one um arrogance specificities um common sense instincts lies there's this term called subject supposed to know, which is a strange Lacanian thing. We've got choice supportive bias, which is... Um, uh, Helen's just staring at me. Uh, we've got anxiety. And we've... Oh, one thing that's really cool. We've got the first sighting of a Barumian knot. A what? So, you know, I'm always talking about the... The, um, the imaginary, the symbolic and the real the triangle the triangle well if you remember like the first time i said it like it's like three mm. three circles in a triangle mm-hmm. well there's a first kind of like sighting of that in this episode like you can visual. visuals you can visually see some uh, like uh, an actual drawing of one of those in the episode okay but we'll i guess we'll get to that later but yeah, so there's loads and loads of stuff. I think this is like a, I think from the writer's point of view, this is like a really important episode. So yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> what did you think? I thought this episode was about awkward situations. <laughs> and that's about it, really. Right. Um, I feel like, I feel like some of the, some of the storylines are actually almost repeated. I think particularly in the Joan one, it's almost like an echo of Peggy, um, you know, trying to achieve what she wants to achieve and the way the two women are, are treated differently. Yeah. Um, I think, I think with the thing is, right, the Betty and Don saga, I'm not being funny. Yeah. I'm just starting to get a bit bored of it. It's like, it's like bloody Ross and Rachel, isn't it? It's like, will they get divorced? Won't they get divorced? But, oh my God. I mean, I just sort of feel a bit like, I don't know, it's, it's, I feel like we've made some real progress yeah. in this episode. Yes. And I'm just hoping we don't go back to ignoring everything next episode. Because <laughs> um, I feel like every time we take a step forward where Betty's sort of figuring it out a little bit, yeah. 
then she just in the next episode with no explanation she just reverts back to who she was i mean there's no mention of like the puking in the car there's no mention of like any of that stuff that happened that you know and it's and it's weird to me that i guess there's a lot of with this there's a lot of sort of festering in the sense that there's it's all there in the background it's all well you know a lot more now and it's like you know there's all this history with obviously Don and Betty, yeah. but then also with sort of Peggy and her baby, that sort of dredged up, that kind of like, yeah. that history. With the, the only one is sort of slightly odd is the Joan one, which all of a sudden she's, she's almost questioning the way that she's, you know, she's always accepted her role, I think. And I yeah. think for the first time in this episode, we sort of see a bit of a bit of a mix of like, first of all, her not wanting or seeing an opportunity and wanting to grab it. Yeah. But then also we see her at home with the handsome doctor for the first time. Yes, yes. And she's the good little wifey. Although she does make, well, she does get a takeaway, which, you know, four points for that, Joan. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that about um, stuff in the background just kind of ticking away. I think that's I think that's the main thing. In this, well, I say I think that. I was watching the, um, I was listening to the commentary and Matthew Weiner said that he wanted everyone to be aware of the fact that I mean, we'll get to it later, but the fact that they sleep, that Don and Betty sleep on an argument, is kind of, and that argument sticks mm. there in the background. That's like, a, I think that's a big part of this episode. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think, mm. I think, yeah. We'll see, let, let's go for it, shall we? All right, cool. So... Well, I mean, I can do if you want to jump in with anything. But I mean, so story A, yes. which is Betty is embarrassed when Don humiliates her as a prime example of a gullible, wealthy housewife and finds the confidence to confront Don about his affair with Bobby. What did you think of story A? So story A. Um, story A is a lot of things. Like, I guess... Are we going to start it from the dinner party? Or not? Yeah, we can start wherever you want. I was just thinking, like, because it doesn't really start. This, well, it... it does start. Okay, here's where it starts at the beginning, right? And I think this is where the difference is for me. Because I feel like Betty is suddenly has expectations of Don. Whereas before, she'd just sort of do everything for him and not really say anything. Right, right. But there's a lot of shots of Don being like a lazy ass. Yes. In this, and where is that bit where she she wants him to change a plug socket, yes. isn't it? So yeah, so that's why I, I, I want to start there because we can start from the very very first shot, which is basically Betty on the porch, right? Mm. And, oh yeah, of course, sweaty Betty. And I think, and, I, and I'm like, so I, I don't, I'm reluctant to go into too much detail on this, but it the big horse thing, right? We need to like tackle this idea of horses. Right, and I think horses in the show represent, um, they're, they're always there. And I think they're there because there's this thing um, that Freud kind of um, came up with. Well, it's it like a story about Freud, basically. And it's how, it's called like Little Hands. It's about this kid called Little Hands, right? And I don't want to go into too much detail. <laughs> I'm not, right. not going to go into too much detail on it. But basically, Little Hands is was a, the son of one of um, of someone that um, was writing to to Freud. And basically, it's 
the whole thing, it's all, the whole little hands can kind of be used to describe what Freud is all about. And you know, the whole idea of, um, uh, what's it called when you, you hide stuff from yourself, you, repression. Mm -hmm. And like repression is kind of, I think, a big part of this episode. And I think, you know, you were saying that like, Betty doesn't really talk about the fact that she knows Don's cheating. Yeah, yeah. Anything. I think that's because she's repressed the whole idea. But then this whole episode's about repression. Yeah, that's what I'm Yeah, that's definitely. What I'm that should have been number one in your list of words. <laughs> totally, no. Um, but, but the reason I didn't use repression also is because we used, we used that already in the, in the episode uh, Red in the Face, uh, which was also about repression. But this kind okay. of moves it along a bit. Anyway... Um, so the reason I bring that up is because the horse, obviously, that she's riding that horse to kind of get out all these feelings to kind of mm. deal with all this kind of anger and, and whatever other issues she's dealing with. Uh, and then she goes in to see, to, to see Don and Don's kind of, and like, if you remember, I don't know how much you remember that scene, but Don's basically asking a lot of questions. He doesn't know anything really. He doesn't well, he's lying in bed, doesn't he? Just like, oh. Exactly. But he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know how she feels about anything. He doesn't know, uh, he doesn't even know what day it is. Um, and yeah, and Betty's just really angry. Um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of, so it, basically starts there and that kind of like sets up what's going to happen at this dinner party um in the dinner party though loads and loads and loads of stuff goes on now the, the big thing i want to talk about the dinner party is the fact that um carl is there what did you think about the dinner party before i go into like my big speech about it? the dinner party yeah um i thought it was do you know i think there's a real interesting i i, I find it quite uncomfortable to sort of talk about it in some ways but it's like the fact is that Betty is almost treated as a servant as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's kind of like, I and mean, she behaves like one. She she's supposed to be the hostess, but is she she's really just serve. I mean, if you compare her to the other two women that are there, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're sort of sat there, one of them's pissed out of her mind. Is it Mona that's pissed? No, Mona's that's the other one. Yeah. Um, her name, never can I. But you know, she walks into the wall and that, and yeah. it's just kind of like you can tell that it's to to Betty. And this is what I think is really interesting about the scene is like to Betty, that is her job. Right. Like that is. Okay. So Don has his job and she has her job, and that is her job, and she's sort of like worked to make it. it do you know what I got from Betty doing that job? Go I got that she really enjoyed it. I thought she, when she's explaining like where all the foods come from. Oh, yeah, she. I think she has. Yeah, she takes pride in it. She enjoys it the same way Don does when he pitches. He's almost, she's almost pitching her dinner party to them. That's a very good point. Like yeah, yeah. you know, this is her in her element doing. I mean, I think whether she enjoys it or not is almost irrelevant. She's good at it. Right, right. Like yeah, she's. Yeah she knows how to wow with a unique spin on a dinner party. The reason I say enjoy is because something else about this episode that I should have mentioned in the intro is the fact that I think this episode is almost like a, a sequel to the previous one. You know, the previous episode, which is about objects and about this idea of uh, enjoyment versus pleasure mm. or jouissance. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got a bit French in there now. Mm. So, <laughs> jouissance is this um, Lacanian, well, it's a French term, but it's a, it's a term that Lacan used to describe enjoyment, right? And the whole point is, you know, we were talking about how the road and the kind of the object of desire at the end of the road mm. and the whole idea is you're supposed to enjoy this path on your road. So, that 
that's a type of jouissance and what Lacan would call it is um, a phallic jouissance, right? Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Where it's about, it's about being fixated on an object and getting that object and then sort of, you know, satisfying yourself in some way. But there's another type of jouissance and that jouissance is the jouissance of the other or, as Lacan also calls it, the, ju- the female jouissance. And that jouissance is like, it's hard to describe and nobody really knows what it is. Like, Great theory. <laughs> Such a good theory, no one really knows what it is. Lacan says that like, even women who are, <sighs> because even women don't know what it is that they particularly like. Now obviously, um, Lacan's not a woman, so he's kind of trying to approach this from a certain point of view and like, I don't know how correct he is and you can, you know, debate that. But the point is, it's like, with all the female characters, well, I guess we can talk about all the other female characters later, but with Joan in particular, she kind of, she enjoys doing this, but at the same time, it's, what does she want at the end of it? That's the kind of question. You know, like with um, phallic jouissance, there's this object that you're trying to obtain. There's something about female jouissance, which is just kind of enjoying the fact that other people are enjoying things because of you. I mean, I could go into this other thing that I read. I was reading about female jouissance and I read this whole paper about basically female orgasms. And right. How, and how, and how, um, you know, there's this whole thing about how women like fake orgasms and stuff and whether that is enjoyable in itself or if it's not. And whether, and what is a real orgasm? Because you could say that by faking an orgasm um, you could there's something that a man enjoys about that which makes the woman enjoy the fact that she's women don't fake an orgasm for their own pleasure that doesn't make any sense the only the only reason a woman would fake an orgasm for her own pleasure was would be to get the man to stop doing whatever he was doing um the only other reason you would you would probably do it is just because you don't to please the guy basically yes. like because you because they they're like i want you to come or whatever. <laughs> i hope my mom never listens to this um and they're like <laughs> and they're like really going at it like a like a little jackhammer sort of thing sort of situation and you're just like oh my god and he's really trying hard but it's not gonna work so i'm just gonna fake it like those are the two in my experience i would never have i would never fake an orgasm for my own pleasure. Interesting. It's quite hard to fake an orgasm. That's <laughs> interesting. I, I just read it in a paper. I can't remember what the paper was called. But yeah, um, it did come up. And it, the point was that they were saying that, yes, part of the enjoy, like part, what Lacan is saying is part of um, female pleasure is, or female enjoyment is knowing that they've made someone else enjoy something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that's partly true. But you could say that of anything. You you could say that of like you have a dinner party and all your friends pretend to like your rubbish food because they don't want to upset you. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an that's also the awkward situation that I mentioned right. earlier, okay, okay, isn't okay. it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I just say one thing before I forget? Right. I spent the entire dinner party thinking someone was going to fall off the broken chair. Ah, did you? I, oh, yeah. Do you know what? Because like, cause she took it out. Like, after she'd broken the chair, she, like, took it out. And I thought, she'd, like, gone and, like, tied it back up together with string and then, like, Duck's going to sit on it. There's going to be this, like, comedy moment. I'm so glad you mentioned that chair. Because um, I totally forgot about it. What 
Is there anything else you thought about that that scene? I mean, is it like a, is it like symbolism of their marriage or some <laughs> shit? I mean, is it like she's like she's like creaking it, creaking it, and then she's like, "This chair is no good," and then breaks it. So okay, uh, okay. So this is how much of a sad loser I am. I started watching as I was watching this show. I it kind of you know I keep talking about the fact that there's this show is very symbolic and it kind of refers back to a lot of other things all the time mm-hmm. and, and there's kind of you know you, one thing that happened in an episode is always kind of referred to and uh, as almost like as a as a term to describe what's happening in a new episode right so what, <laughs> what i started doing after watching this episode is like i started making my own glossary of madman terms um for example that chair so if you remember you probably don't remember but if you remember the episode um in oh my god everyone take a shot <laughs> so in the episode indian summer there's a there's a bit where um there's this whole thing about objects and objectifying and like you know and, and they used it they at one point um peggy asked for a chair in a scene and it's kind of like and that, that, it's like a head of it's like a, a, a mashing together this idea of that that peggy is being objectified while at the same time, this chair is also an object, mm-hmm. right? So to me, anytime a chair or seating gets mentioned, they're really talking about objectification within the scene. Right. So when, um, so when um, Pe- um, Betty gets that chair and smashes it to pieces in this episode, it's like what you were saying about how Betty in this episode kind of moves forward a bit more into yeah. being like her own person. So that's kind of her smashing the chair. It's like her smashing her being an object to Don and like think. Okay, I mean, I just think she just was like, this chair is broken. I'm going to smash it. And you could go, hmm, that reminds me of something else that might be broken and you should smash it. That's how I saw that scene. Um, and also it's another thing of like not knowing because all the kid, the kids are like watching her and kind of like, why is she doing it? You know what I mean? They're kind of like confused and sort of like, what's wrong with mommy sort of thing. But she, but she kind of like does it in a weird way. Well, like I say, at first you're not really sure what she's gonna do because she's just rocking the chair back and forth. Yeah. And you're like, is she trying to fix it or see what's wrong with it? And I think it's quite cleverly done. She's like, she doesn't know what's wrong with the chair. Yeah. Another thing of not knowing. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the dinner party because there's only so long that people want to listen to us talk about a chair. There's more things in the dinner party as well. So this, oh god, there's this. Another confusing thing. So, you know the fact that Carla's at the dinner party? Yeah, yeah. I don't actually Carla. know who she is. Carla's the maid. Oh, Carla, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. So, so with Carla, so you have to bear with me with this because this is, I've not fully got this on my, in my head yet. But the, so the scene, so we we start the scene and one of the first shots we see is the two of them two cooking together. Mm. Uh, or they're, they're in the dining room and, um, you know, Betty's like just full of like color and she's got like this colorful dress mm. on and she's got this colorful apron on and everything and she just looks like really really colorful and then you've got Carla who kind of looks black and white almost mm. like the negative of um of uh, Betty and there's a line that Betty says when um I need to find it it's on here somewhere um there's a line that Betty says um when she's talking about how her no, well, someone asks, Duck asks Betty if she did everything on her own. And she says, no, Carla helped me. And Carla helped, Carla helped me with 
the marketing of the things that we put out, right? Mm. I always thought that was a weird term to use, like the marketing. Like, why don't you just say put it out, right? And to me, marketing is like this image-based thing. It's like a very sort of stuff you can see. It's like, I think what the episode, what the, what the, um, the scene is trying to say is that on a very, very meta level, very, very meta level, is that Carla is the image and Betty is the real, right? And, you know, in that whole three diet triad mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and when you cross the two of them together, and you can see this in, like, any of the diagrams, you cross the two, when you cross the real and the imagery and, and the imaginary together, you get um, female Jewish songs, or J.A., as they say. They, they, they come together to create female Jewish songs. And it's just kind of... And as you see, in, and as they talk in that... That um, as as you see at the end of that scene, that's when Betty kind of like is really in her element, and everyone's saying how how good her food is, and she kind of, and she's quite happy with that. She's not mm. totally happy with it, but she's kind of she's enjoying the fact that they're enjoying the food. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of I just like that. I just like the way they kind of showed that, and I'm just kind of saying that to kind of try and show how the show how I think the show works in some sort. Of way. <laughs> I think that's I think that's true and I think that's probably even more what this episode is about is it's almost like the whole thing is just women trying to show what they can do. Yeah. Cuz it's like they all do that in some way. Yeah. So, you know, and then and then, you know, Don just comes in and basically shits all over <laughs> Betty's and <laughs> uh, we could talk about the um the second confrontation as well um i've got something i want to say about this but what did you think about this this is a weird wait, one. hang on wait, hang on we haven't talked about the first confrontation yet oh sorry what, what is the first confrontation? well the, fir- the first confrontation is after straight after the dinner party the second confrontation is the one hang on how many confrontations did i put there's one in the in the after the dinner party where she's yes. like you embarrass me yes and then the next one is when she oh. tells him what she th- knows. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then there's like the final one, she don't come home. which is when she says, don't come home. Right, yeah. Okay, sorry. So, yeah, so let's do the first conversation. Sorry. So the first yeah. One, yeah. Well, I mean, let's just talk about that for a minute. So clearly, I mean, I, I didn't quite understand exactly what they've done here, but they've clearly set up some sort of experiment where we're using this Heineken thing. Yeah. Um, and they put it in well, the supermarket. Well, what they'd actually done is, I wanted to talk about this earlier as well, is what they'd actually done is they've, they've basically set up the aisles to kind of get um, housewives to, to buy this beer, which wasn't, wasn't aimed at those housewives yeah, yeah. to begin with. And that's, that's all the experiment mm-hmm. was, was just to see, will more women buy this stuff in the thing? But then I think by coincidence... Betty just happens to buy it because she's making, she's doing this thing, right? She's doing this, this yeah, yeah. party. And then Don kind of takes credit for it. But I don't think he had anything. But this it. is what I mean is I find this whole thing, this whole thing is a little bit weird, right? Because it wasn't like they targeted Betty specifically or her supermarket specifically. And it is one of those things where it, that's what I think the whole way through. And there's that awkward moment a bit later on where, you know, they're talking to the Heineken people yeah. and he's like, oh, Don set this whole thing up with this one. But I think you're right. I think it was just, it just happened to be a coincidence, a happy coincidence for Don. Yeah. 
And yeah, she bought some beer because she knew she was going to have men coming to the party. The party so. so I talked earlier, one of the terms I used earlier was um, choice supportive bias. Right. And so and we're jumping forward a bit to this Don meeting, but I don't think we're going to cover it in that much detail. So, um, so when they're talking through that thing, that to me is basically, so choice supportive bias is, you know, when you make a decision on something. Mm-hmm say you you want to go left or you want to go right right and you you go right choice supportive bias says that because you've chosen to go right you will now see that as the correct decision the correct um choice to make and you'll sort of like um build that up to be i always meant to do this in the first place that's kind of what don has done with this thing where it's like oh this just happened by accident but and in that meeting, they're kind of explaining, yeah, we did all these tests. We, we set up this test. Mm. And what's really interesting about that meeting as well is if they set up this test and it was kind of like supposed to prove something, how come all they're doing is telling these people what happened? That There's no actual proof. It's no, just no. them just talking yeah, about yeah. what happened. So it's that's that fluff, kind of, isn't it? It's, it's all fluff, yeah. Um, and I think that's also a good way of looking at the marriage of Don and Betty where they've got married together then they're not there's no way in especially in betty's mind where she's going to say i made the wrong decision she just kind of keeps telling herself that she's made the right decision um and that becomes her memory in a way um but she but it's all role playing isn't it i mean even from the very the whole that whole evening is other than the heineken thing that whole evening is so constructed from like Blimmin' Sally doing a little ballet at the beginning and I was like watching it thinking this is really cringe but <laughs> yeah. Betty's whole thing is she set it out so they look like the perfect family. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it is that whole everyone plays the role. Everyone's kind of... You know, and it's kind of like even the to the point where the little girl is like dancing <laughs> in a tutu for them. Um, yeah, totally. Um, one thing we haven't talked about and I, this is another jump maybe maybe we should leave this to the end but alright, tell you what we'll talk we'll, we'll return to this in the, in the, at the end but the title, A Night to Remember. Oh, yeah. Well, we can touch on that also when we talk about Peggy. Because okay. obviously that comes from her... Yes, that's a good idea. ...poster as well, so... Kind of, yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> you can, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Okay. All right. First confrontation. First confrontation, yeah. You embarrass me. Yes. So, okay, so I want to talk about how this starts, right? So it starts off with a shot of... Um, it's them cleaning up, isn't it? Yeah, so it yeah. starts with actually shot stuff with a shot of the table, and on the table is like just a whole bunch of mess and these like pretty flowers, right? And these like and the and this thing of ourselves, and the camera pans over to the bottle, the the big bucket of beer all mm. by itself. Oh yeah, like, yeah. And you know, just kind of like chilled and cool by itself, and that's kind of that's still amazing. quite full though as well. Still quite full, yeah. And it's kind of, to me, it's like how. Um, Betty's hand having to deal with all the mess. The leftovers. leftovers yeah, yeah. Don just sits there and like kind of drinks his beer. But yeah, um, so yeah, she says to him like loads of times, like you, you embarrassed me, which kind of, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Like that was a, a strange, she, it's not the fact that she, I know what she, I know that how she feels about him embarrassing her, but she's not very specific, is she? She doesn't say what he actually did. Well, that's the thing, though, is I think the whole thing is she wants him to know what he's done. And she she wants him to be sorry and concerned about the fact that he's embarrassed her. 
But he did, like, again, like, he didn't really do anything. Like, he hasn't... Well, no, he didn't. In, in So, because it isn't even him that brings up the Heineken thing, is it? It's no. um, Duck, is it? Yeah, it's Duck. But it is that whole thing of, like, she... I think what happens is, you know, she believes that they've set her up. Even yeah. if they haven't, she believes that they have. Yeah. And that's how... He's embarrassed her because he's he's take, taken her from being the special, brilliant housewife that she believes that she is mm. to just being any old, wealthy, suburban mm. housewife. She's not special. So it's not even wow, about... Okay, okay. I, I don't even think it's about the embarrassment. I think it's about the whole, like, you've just, you're just treating me like a hamster, basically. So, yeah. So the way I look at it is, like... So Don... So the way... Peggy and uh, Betty's looking at it is she's doing all this stuff and she's enjoying it. She enjoys like, you know, looking out for these, you know, cooking and sort of doing all this stuff. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's this case of like, what do women want? And, um, I think Betty, what she really wants, I guess, is in this case is like this relationship with Don where they're working in tandem together. And Don's basically been, a massive douchebag by not letting her into that. Mm. And he's always kind of like keeping her out and locking her out. Um, I think there's a, there's a scene with, with Peggy that kind of illustrates it a bit better. Like, uh, we'll talk about it later, but the fact that she, her enjoyment comes from working with, actually her enjoyment comes from working with Don, right? Not necessarily, her enjoyment comes from... No, I don't think that's true. I think her enjoyment comes from being allowed to shine. Mm. That's what I think. And I think it's that... I'll tell you what it is. I don't know which episode it was. It was probably <laughs> Indian Summer. Um, but there's a scene that I do remember from one of the old ones where they're in a meeting with some big client mm. and Pete keeps interjecting. Right. Um, and afterwards, like, Don has words. He doesn't say, you embarrass me. Oh, right. He said he, they kind of have a bit of a. He's like, don't interrupt me, or like, you know, don't do this. It's a, it's a power thing. It's a whole. You know, it's almost like by doing that. Undermined. He's undermining her. Yeah, oh, okay. by not saying, oh, you know, actually, it just happened to be coincidental. You know, he could have said anything to sort of save the situation, but he didn't. Yeah. He took the validation, took the credit for this being a brilliant thing that he's done. And he, what he doesn't see is the impact that that's had on his wife. Mm. And I think that's the same. It's the same as like, you know, someone like Pete, who's trying to climb the career ladder. They're yeah. not thinking, oh, I'm going to do this and it's going to embarrass Don. Yeah. They're thinking I'm doing this because it might make me look really good. Yeah. And I think that's what it's more about. Okay. For me. Okay. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, yeah. The only reason I mention the fact that she she enjoys it's like again it goes back to that, that enjoyment of the other so she wants Don to enjoy himself but she just wants to be in on it I think she wants to be kind of like she wants to like she yeah she wants to be an equal yeah which is the same as a power yeah it's yeah the same it's, it's equality I wouldn't say it's it's necessary but I think she also wants her opportunity like because she's just presented this fantastic dinner that she's probably spent weeks preparing yeah and in one line, he's made her look like a stupid housewife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so totally. I think that's, it's more, I think there's a, a combination of things there, but. 
Yeah, yeah I like that. She, I like that she goes off on him, and straight away, <laughs> as soon as Carla's out the door, it's like, right, we're doing this now. <laughs> There's a bit when when they're when they're arguing, um, when Don gets up out of his chair, and he says, he literally says, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean it," and I love that as a as a as a sentence because it's like if you you can look at it another way, it's like he's saying "I'm sorry," and then immediately after saying "sorry," he's saying "I didn't mean it." Which I think is pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, and also, oh, there's another thing as well. He says, like, I'm just reading like lines from the thing now. Um, he also says, um, he, he said, like, so the, there's a bit where she, she says, um, you never mean it. You just do what you want, and I put up with it because nobody knows, right? Mm. And then he says, no one's going to remember that. What they're going to remember is Petra Coulson missing her chair. Um, and what that kind of, to me, that's kind of like no one's going to, it's two things. On the one hand, it's like no one's going to, he's talking about Petra and like how she's kind of like really drunk and it's going to take the fact that she, um, that she made a mistake away from, it's going to take that, that, that away. But at the same time, he's also saying no one's going to remember that you put up with all my shit and I, and I'm going to get all the credit. Mm. That's the kind of meta thing that I'm talking about. Anyway, um, that's going to get edited. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the second confrontation, let's talk about that. Well, before we go into that. Yeah. So the, the second confrontation is the one where, oh, which one is it? It's the one where oh my God, too so many he comes back. So so um, Betty's been sort of like searching. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about searching. Okay, I want to talk okay, about searching okay, okay, okay. because I feel like I love the visual here. Cause she, I love that she's still wearing her party dress. Yeah, okay, okay. And it's kind of like she's just got he, like in the morning. She's just like sat at the breakfast table, like <laughs> fucking hair everywhere, just like with a fag or whatever, just like looking well pissed off and then the mad search begins can i say just before we go on to that like the bit where when he leaves all the kids say goodbye to daddy and that's how you know you were saying Mm. later how earlier how like betty seems to kind of like um she seems to notice something about don and then forgets about it Mm. I think that makes it a bit more final, the fact that his kids are saying goodbye to him in this. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, so like, so since she sort of goes through all the, all the clothes and everything, and it is a really cool scene. And she, Um, but she sniffs them. She's, yeah. She she does like this. It's like, she's looking for any scrap of evidence. And I think what I wanted to say about this, that I think this whole scene is really interesting because you could read it in a number of different ways. You could read it as the fact that she's going crazy. Yeah. The thing is, the fact is that we know because we've seen Don have an affair. Yeah. All she really has to go on is the fact that um, Jimmy told her yes. that he, she doesn't actually know. She's probably suspected. Yeah, yeah. But she has literally no concrete evidence at all. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's almost like she can't believe herself yeah until she sees actual evidence actual evidence yeah it's, it's like that it's like that um the meeting that don was having with those guys right where they're telling them what happened but she they don't know that for sure they just have to go on don's kind yeah, of, yeah yeah and it, it's kind of like that's what's excuse me really clever about it because you all you're you're expecting her to find something right. like when she starts pulling out the napkins from yeah, that drawer yeah, yeah. it's like there's going to be one with like a phone number on or yeah. 
or something. Yeah. There's there's no evidence at all, other than. But there is evidence of the way that he's used her. Yeah. I mean, because the right guard one comes up. Um, what do women what want, do want to, yeah. to get closer to to you or whatever? Mm-hmm. And it's that whole thing of like it. I think it makes her even more of a object. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, even more of just a just a toy that he uses to get ideas from. Do you know what I um, got from that scene? This is this is really weird. So this is like obviously a very meta thing, like, and I don't know if this is intended or not. But when she's so she's in a party dress, yeah, and she's going through all those coats, right? Mm. And it's like she is. There's all these different coats, and you could kind of substitute those coats. That's, 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 let me just explain. So I'm I'm taking this from I'm taking this as like on a meta level. They're trying to describe how Betty and Don met each other or how Betty picked Don you know I was talking about that um, Mm. that bias thing where you kind of like rewrite history for yourself and how relationships come together so like to me that's kind of like almost like a a visual thing of how Betty ended up like going through lots of different guys I'm not I'm sure I know she didn't do it like this but this is kind of you know over time just meeting lots of different guys seeing who kind of fits and who's kind of right so she's going off through all these coats. She's like checking their pockets, seeing their money, kind of like sniffing them, mm. seeing what they're like, you know, pheromones and all that kind of stuff. And she, and, like the whole idea is she lands on Don, right? And then we see her in the next room, in the next scene, in the room sort of going through all Don's things and all sort of like Don's um, uh, history and sort of like things about Don. All, all these symbolic, not, not symbolic, is it symbolic? Yeah, symbolic kind of things. These like letters and these these written things, and they're all kind of like sort of getting immersed into Don's kind of way of life, and just mm. kind of like picking that all all up from him. And that's that's kind of what I got from it. Like, there's other things as well, like you're saying, but like that's my sort of pull. Is just this whole almost like a, a just a visual kind of understanding of what Betty thinks about the man that she picked in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think there's so many different ways you could read it. Like, yeah. even even when he was going, when she's going through the drawer, and there's like a children's macaroni picture. Yeah, that's there. the that's the one that, but, that um, Sally made for Don in oh, the first episode. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, there's like there's nothing of her. There's nothing. No, that's a good point. Yeah. But there is the there is the adverts that she's almost inspired him to write. Yeah. And that's almost like his. Is that a affectionate because why would he keep that right why would you keep that napkin and that's that's i think a question that kind of bugged me a little bit the thing about that not the napkin you mean the well there's the right guard one and then but then there's other ones that he's like written on napkins and things well the right guard one actually is one that he wrote for um when the one when he was was with me so maybe their memories of his 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 lovers. Well, they're all. I guess they're all memories of women that he's. I think the the red one is one that he wrote with Bobby. Oh really? Might, it might have been Bobby, or it might have been. Um, it might have been Rachel, but they all seem to kind of. Um, well, that's really interesting, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because that's like how he remembers his lovers. Yeah. And it's like that's the evidence. And also, but she she, yeah, she can't. She, yeah, she doesn't know. Um, and also, that's you know, I'm saying that there's a Beremian knot. Yeah. That's where the Beremian knot is. So if you look on, if you look on one of the, I think there's like a, there's like a, uh, what they call, what they, the things that you put 
scales? No, you think coasters. Coaster, yeah. There's a coaster. There's a coaster there, and it's a black and white coaster. And on it, it's got like the Barumian knot on it. And I was like, holy shit, because it's so small. And I was like, fucking hell, they actually put it in. And I know it might just be a coincidence if I'm taking it. Um, Imagine working on the props, right? We need you to find me a coaster with a Barumian knot on it. And they're like, right. Well, uh, Matthew Weiner says, oh, this is just stuff we had lying around. He's talking bullshit. <laughs> I do not believe that, Matthews. You're talking bullshit, Matthew. <laughs> I know your game. Um, Fine. Yeah. Um, so right confrontation two confrontation two yes he comes home she's lying she's sitting on the bed with all the suits oh yeah and um, she goes I've gone through everything oh yeah and she's like cut her foot and she's like a complete fucking mess by then yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's interesting that she cuts her foot on that glass because I think that's I'm not I'm just going to drop the name so there's there's like this Kleinian sort of psychoanalysis and it's famous for this uh, Lacan Lacan sort of uh, uses this thing called a Kleinian glass, which is like this four-dimensional kind of glass. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that because it's too confusing and it's going way out of the bounds of what I need to talk about. But um, but yeah, so what did you think about that scene? Do you remember much about that scene? Because there's only one thing that really drew my kind of attention. I could really talk well, about. Well, it's that whole thing. That's the scene where she's like, you, you don't look at me ever and now you're looking at me and, and saying... Sorry, isn't that the, yeah. weird, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't. I that I found that hard to get my head around. Um, when one thing that you could say though is when when Don does come in, she's lying on the bed and she's lying on the bed very much in the same way that you know <clears throat> they have that aerial view of um, Peggy in Flight One, where she's just an amazing view and like Peggy's just come back from the party mm. and she's like she's and it felt very much like that. Uh, which is like a very much the name of the father thing. Like, I don't know if they're sort of um, referring to that in some way. But for me, that scene ends with, you see this wide shot and Betty sat on the bed and she's got all of Don's suits around him. And then you see Don walking away with his suit on. And it's almost like, he, it's almost like she's got like the ghosts of Don's past on her like like all the things that she remembers of Don are there and then actual Don is walking out of the door mm. <laughs> I know that's kind of like <laughs> that's a fucking out there bullshit but like she's it's like she's kind of holding on to these memories of him and that's kind of why they're still together she he's not necessarily the guy she thought she was but that's well that the suits are her are her version of his napkins they're the memories yeah yeah, that she has yeah. with him. Yeah, totally. Like, because I mean, that's when you know they went out and they did their perfect couple act and blah yeah. blah blah. Because their home life has never been especially happy. Yeah. But they always seem to do well when they go out as a couple or whatever it is. So yeah, you're probably right. It's a sentimental yeah thing. And the, but and then um, then we see Don sort of asleep on the couch by himself, right? Yeah, and then she's really spookily just sitting there watching her. Like a ghost, right? Like a ghost. That's what I thought. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like got no makeup on and she's just there. And... I mean, I would shit my pants if someone <laughs> did that to me. Just was just sitting there like, we need to talk. And he's just like, he sort of slowly comes around. And I'm like, what? I'd be like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I loved it. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I d- yeah, I didn't I know what to make of that scene. But yeah, she, I definitely thought she looked like a ghost there. That was, that was really cool. Um, 
So there's only there's not that much to say about the rest of it. It's like the only thing we have, have after that is I guess Betty. The next time we see Betty is when she's baking a cake, and the cake's half done. There's a, there's a actually there's a before we go on there's a thing that um, uh, Carla says about jam. Right. <laughs> she's talking about they're talking like so um, Betty's telling um, uh, Carla to go home. And, uh, you know, she's kind of, you can leave, it's fine. And then Carla says no. And then this is like them two sort of very much on very equal footings. Like, you know, there's no, even though like Betty's in the, the boss, she's kind of like, they, they seem to be quite working together really well. Uh, and um, Carla says, um, I can, I'll go, but I think I should, this, this jam need, this jam is going to set if we don't do something about it. So I'm going to wash it. And I kind of like, I feel like that is another symbol of like how if they don't if Don and and Betty don't sort out their marriage before they go to sleep it will set and that's how things will go over to you know? <laughs> I'm really hard not to think that and that is the symbolism of the jam and madmen <laughs> I think really, yeah I guess it does sound ridiculous um, but I, I think and I think this 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 cake is the same thing where it's like She's put this cake in the in the oven. It's not ready yet, and she just kind of like, um, but she leaves it in in the in the oven to finish baking. Uh, unlike there was a cake earlier on in another episode. I think it was shoot, and it was in the fridge and it wasn't cooked. It was half baked. So this time she's got the cake and she's actually finishing it and actually letting it cake uh, letting it um, thing. But then she she goes and sits on uh, on the sofa and watches the TV. Right. Yeah. And on the sofa, on the TV is this comedy with this kid talking. And I'm guessing you didn't, wasn't a massive nerd. And no, <laughs> well, guess what? I was. And um, the kid says on the TV, um, welcome. So the, the, the dialogue on the TV is um, welcome to the club. And then the kid says, so I pulled Sylvia's hair and treated her mean. She ran after me all the time. And every day she took me down to the malt shop to spill to split a soda with her and just like that I lose her and he get and the, the guy talking to him says how do you know you lost her and he says today I walked into the malt shop and there she was with another guy at the end of my straw and then it cuts to the um, advert with Jimmy mm-hmm. and Jimmy and like and, you know Betty sees this advert of Jimmy and she's like and that's when she picks up the phone and calls Don and I and I think what the show is saying, and there's a lot to do with liaisons in the show and like people in between, getting in between and stuff and conveying the message. And it's like the way Betty and Don's marriage is now, every time Betty sees um, an arts advert or every time, she's, every time she sees an arts advert, she's going to think of Don. And every time she sees Don, she's going to think of Jimmy. And those two things are always going to be there. And that's, to her, that's repulsive as she kind of, she doesn't want anything to do with it. She doesn't want to deal with it. So and she that, makes the call. Yeah, she makes the call. And and tells Don that she doesn't want to see him anymore. And then she goes to the oven and turns the oven off. Uh... <laughs> um, so that's the end of their story. Well, apart from the very sad shot of him alone at the office at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, but we can, I think we can talk about that later right. on. Because I can. think that comes with everything else that happens. Should we move on then? Yes, let's move on. Let's move on to um, story B, which is what's the name of the priest? Uh, Father Gill. 
A surprise visit from Father Gill leads to Betty designing a poster for the church dance using her professional skills, but finds that the priest is more inter- impressed with, than with the photocopy than her. <laughs> um, so, so the Peggy first... is looking very nice at the beginning. She's come around. She got she got colouring pencils for the boys. She did, yeah. Um, so I guess that's kind of hard to... St- Again, there's a lot of them talking about, you know, not knowing she... You know, Don, she doesn't expect um, the priest to turn up. He turns up, um, and oh, was it not? I thought it was a surprise visit. I clearly just completely like. Well, that's that's what head. that's what I mean. Like he's he's it's a total surprise to her. She didn't know he was gonna be there. Um, and then there's also stuff about to, to Peggy is yeah, 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 to, yeah to Peggy yeah. And then there's also stuff about well, there's stuff about um, what's the name's husband. The husband yeah, yeah. who's kind of laid up he's, in bed. He's he's not really sick or whatever. He's just skiving off because he doesn't want to work. Well, we don't know if he's not sick. So is. We do. You do. You literally don't know. And I think that's kind of the point is we don't know if he's sick or. He's I mean, sick. we saw him ages ago. He'd done his back in, hadn't he, or whatever. But he yeah. seems like that kind of. There's always something wrong with me and a reason why I can't work. <laughs> totally. Type person. Um, and then we get this whole thing of, um, Father Gill roping. Peggy into this well so I think that I think this whole relationship is really weird because the last time we saw Father Gill he was giving Peggy an easter egg and saying for the little one in a slightly sly move <laughs> yes to say I know that you've had an illegitimate child but it's never confirmed right we don't know that he kn- well we know we know that he knows but we don't know if she knows that he knows that's <laughs> really funny oh yeah yeah but I mean <laughs> Like I say, I think that would be a pretty big coincidence. Yeah, she kind of. I think she's probably guess. She, I think she's probably guessed that he knows. She, but she never lets on that she's guessed. But but that's because I think it's it's kind of like. But I think she's almost at that point where Betty's been at, where where Betty probably <coughs> suspected. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But never confirmed and it's sort of like I think with Peggy it's very much that sort of like for her denial mm. of knowing you know pretending not to know what these people are to what you know he's talking about specifically because I mean he basically gives her an open invitation to be like listen yeah you can tell me it's fine well sort of should, we, should we get to that yeah, later? yeah. all right well let's start with this uh, I don't have really have anything to say about the surprise visit other than why the hell did she say yes um, well this is the question why did she say yes <laughs> I think again it's that expectation though isn't it I mean can you say A can you say no to a man in that sort of sense B can you say no to a priest mm. and C she has this reputation for being this big fancy executive New Yorker mm. woman and it's like I mean she does try and be like oh I'm really busy or whatever but yeah. I don't know I think you know I think there are expectations that the consequences of not doing it would have been worse than the consequences of doing it. And she kind of does say, well, she kind of tries to hint that she's not interested Mm -hmm. and he doesn't seem to take it on board. He doesn't know that she doesn't want to be interested. Um, um, Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, so let's move on to the, the meet. Well, they've got that phone call, which is kind of, I guess, quite short. like, Hi, Peggy's office, and then she she's also Peggy, <laughs> which is really good. Um, There's not much to say about that, I don't think. No, I mean, I think that's the original, he's got the poster, isn't it? 
Yes. Ah, yes. That's okay. We can talk about the poster now. Yeah. Um, a night to remember. A night to remember. Yeah. Um, so I guess instead of talking about the poster, well, first of all, um, the first thing I want to say about the poster is, you know, like I was saying before about this episode being a, a, a sequel to the previous episode, which mm-hmm. is about objects and like the whole thing of like manifestos and and having something to work towards. Yeah. That's essentially what that poster is, right? But that's from that again, phallic Jew, phallic male Jewisons. Uh, it's from um, it's from Father Gill, and she and like he says, like what, like he doesn't know what it is, and she's kind of like, what do you mean, what is it? Um, and the fact that she, the whole thing is really seems to be. What do you think about the fact that she has that theory that if the women come, the men will follow? Yeah. Do you think, do you agree with that? Do you disagree? I mean, I don't go to many church parties, (laughs) not going to lie. But I think so. I mean, I think I can see what she's getting at. I mean, but that's very much a, that's very much a man mentality though, isn't it? That's almost like, uh, you know, something she's picked up from the, from the guys at the office. It is. And it's also very much a, a, a very sort of object of desire thing as well, where the guys will go to go and meet with these women. Yeah. It's a very phallic, um, Jewish kind of way of looking at things. Well, uh, it's, you know, it is that kind of, I mean, every, you know, party or night out that they have at the office, there's always the promise of girls. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, where she's learned this stuff isn't actually from working in advertising. It's actually just from like what, it's the same way that, Don observes uh, Betty, she observes the men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like the men in the office. So I think, yeah, I think that's just her way of trying to show that she's done research, but she hasn't really. Okay, so what do you think of the title, A Night to Remember? (laughs) I mean... I'm not. I'm not sure. It's like really suitable for a church. Right. Okay. Okay. I well, watching the um the thing the thing that Matthew Weiner said about it is it's just it's just a title that was around at the time that would have been kind of that yeah, Peggy yeah. would have liked, but I think in terms of how it refers to the episode, obviously you've got the flyer. Oh, of the for the okay, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you've got the flyer, which is kind of a night to remember. But then you've also got the dinner, which is a night to another remember. night to remember. And you've got um, the women who sacrifice for sheer enjoyment, who are, in a way, kind of knights. And we, we're supposed to remember them. Uh, they're kind of like knights looking after us, kind of, you know, doing all this stuff. And, you know, at the end of the episode, you've got all the women kind of like just feel, looking really sort of um, tired and just fed up and not really self-comforted. Then you've also got the men who were trying to be knights, who were like, you know, you've got um, Father Gill who's trying to kind of like save Betty and save Peggy (laughs) in a way. Um, And you've got um, Jimmy, um, you know, the night that Jimmy told Betty about Don, that's a night to remember Mm. that she kind of needs to remember. And then you've got the fight, which is also a night to remember. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's like loads and loads and loads and loads of nights to remember in that. And I mean, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> I was trying to think of something just so I had something to say, but literally, I think you'd fall all the nights. I yeah, you kind of uh, I I stared at the screen for a long time thinking about them. Um, but yeah, I think uh, and what's really weird about it, I just 
I just like the way that that kind of. I didn't. I thought it was an awful title when I first read it. I thought it means nothing. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't. But that's that's what's interesting about it though is it sort of means different things to different people. Yeah. Like to me, it's like wanna make this a night to remember, <laughs> and it's like you think for me, if you think of sex or you think of, you know, that's that's what I would think of, and that's the old ladies at the church clearly think that too, and that the church committee. And yeah, and it's also what I was saying before about that. Um, that um that cognitive what's gonna call it um <laughs> the uh the the choice supportive bias um it's like so the way cho- choice supportive bias works is we are always making these decisions and we're always saying well this was the right decision and this was the right decision and this and you end up in a totally sort of arbitrary place where all these decisions you've made have put you there but they're not necessarily the right decision mm. and you know that goes for all the characters but especially obviously in this episode it goes for Don and Betty's marriage and how they've kind of convinced themselves that they're in the right place um, because they've forgotten what came before and there's other things as well but I'm not even gonna I can't be bothered going into them all but yeah I just love the title I think the title's amazing after thinking it was really boring um, is there anything else we want to talk about with the phone call nope uh, I'm good because then I think the big showdown is really um, the meeting that the two of them have. Or the, well, they have with the... Yeah. The, the, well, the Christian Youth Organization or whatever they're called. The CY, CYO. Um, Which is run by two old women. Two, two old women, yeah. <laughs> um, could they make those... Could they have made those women look any more fuddy duddy than fuddy duddy than they did <laughs> i mean you know that kind of look is coming back in fashion though is it no oh. <laughs> i was thinking i reckon the taller ones like really wild a bit and i did not think about that maybe you should stop maybe it's a night to imagine for you because <laughs> she like takes a you know takes a hat off and just like goes crazy it's like when those hollywood movies where um you know someone looks really square and boring and then they put some take their glasses off and it's like <gasps> anyway <laughs> that's a whole about thing your weird fantasies <laughs> about old church committee lady anyway um, yeah what did you think of them so for me it wasn't so, it wasn't actually so much about the meeting for me it was more the bit afterwards oh okay like with, when they've left yeah when she's like you're supposed to be on my side you're yeah. supposed to you know, stand up for me. You brought me here because of my expertise mm. and now you're agreeing with them. And it's kind of like, again, I think there's a lot in this episode about um, power and yeah. the shift of power and that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, she's respected amongst the, the church community as this high-flying professional. Yeah, yeah. But actually, when it comes down to it, two old fuddy-duddy old ladies... Yeah. can trump her in terms of what they're going to be doing. And she isn't even, like, really getting paid for it. It's like, pro bono. I mean, come on. Yeah, I know, pro... I like the... I like the use of... There's a reason I like the term pro bono. I think, oh, yeah, that's it. So, obviously, pro bono is a, a Latin word, and I don't know if they meant... Again, this could be a total coincidence, but I just like the fact that the other really famous Latin phrase is know thyself, but I can't remember how, what, what it is in Latin. But this is like a real sort of famous Latin phrase, yeah, oh. which is "know thyself." Uh, but yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, 
But What's carp DM? It's not nah, that's seize the day. Uh. Um, yeah, just kind of when Betty's talking about um, yeah, just the fact that these kids holding hands is like you know it's it's a good thing. I don't know. It's to me, it's. Uh... But it's, the thing is, the whole point of the of the of what the poster is supposed to do is lost in this conversation. Oh, you think? Yeah, totally. Because what what they actually talk about is the meaning extracted from the poster. Right. Ah, of the clothes dancing, of this, like they need to be further apart. That yeah. maybe they should be doing a box step. That's true. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure about the name. The so box step thing is really just again. That's a no, fuck it. But I'm it's not that, gonna talk about that. It's the whole thing of like you know, actually, instead of thinking this is what this is actually about, which is. A product yeah. or something that we want people to come to. They think about what, what, what it means and what it means and the know. bad things behind it. Mm. And it's almost like that's what Betty believes. Betty, oh my God, you've started me on it now. Bloody hell! That's what Peggy almost sees with within her. It's like she thinks that people are just seeing the bad things and picking them out, oh, wow. and not actually looking at her as a as a professional, the professional that's, that she's m- almost marketing herself as. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and she's good. like, in, instead they're going, oh, well, you know, she had a, you know, priest is going, oh, I had, she had a baby. Yeah. And like, you know, someone else is going, oh, she's not married or like whatever it is. <laughs> um, I like that. That's good. And I think that's what that's all about. And that's why she's like to him at the end, she's like, you should have stood up for me. And I feel like that's like a weird thing with, and that it sort of explains her relationship a little bit with God at this point. Right, okay. For me, because she's sort of looking at him like you you were supposed to stand up for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Um you're you're the holy one, you're the one with all the power. Okay. And actually you didn't. You took the side of these old ladies who were picking me apart. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think it's I think that scene is really interesting. I do as well. I because I, I only saw it from the point of view that you know, Father Gill is now Don and he's making a bad job of basically defending. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's same, it's, I guess it's the same it's thing. It's that echo. Yeah. Um, there was a line that they say, um, one, of the, one of the old ladies says, she says, I don't like the way they're dancing. They're too close together. Maybe leave some room for the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. Right, and um, again, going back to the Barumian, the Barumian knot's weird because it kind of it echoes a lot of things. So, obviously, you've got the the imaginary, the real, and the uh, symbolic, right? And that's almost like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, and to me, it's like the like I said, there's a knot, there's a knot between the um, uh, the was it the imaginary and the real right and the holy ghost in this situation would be the symbolic and that's kind of that's what she's mm. saying is like leave some room for the uh, holy ghost which i, I thought was, again they just keep slipping those little things in there Barumian knots everyone look them up um and then i guess there's the final thing between those two um which oh. is when he comes to the office. Yeah. And he's amazed by the photocopier. Well, before we go to the photocopier, I like when, as soon as he walks in, um, Pete and Ken are there. And what does Pete call it? Pete says something about um, Miracle Whip. That's it. He calls. Oh, Cool Whip. Miracle Whip. Yeah. 
Um, and what's Cool Whip? Cool Whip is... Have you never seen that Family Guy episode where he, he pronounces Cool Whip? No. <laughs> no. I don't actually... Don't, I think it's like Squirty Cream, but I don't know. Right, okay. Because I'm not American. But... Well, if there are Americans listening, uh, let us know what Miracle Whip is because we no, don't really... Oh, cool, cool Whip, whip but Cool Whip is... Cool Whip. Um, whip. But... but um, <laughs> But Pete calls Gil like Miracle Whip, which is really funny coming from him because of, if 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 Miracle Whip is a cheap version of mayonnaise, then basically what um, Pete is saying is that um, that um, Father Gil is a cheap version of him. I like the fact they use mayonnaise as well. This is the blandest, most boring thing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the the what do you think about the the the, the printer the photocopier so they come in he's like it's amazing you know this is genius i can't remember what he says but he's like and and he'll just keep printing and she's like oh as long as you set yeah it's not amazing it's not a miracle whatever yeah. <laughs> and then he tries basically tries to get her to confess he's sort of saying you don't take communion you don't yeah. you know seem to get involved with the church more and then he sort of lays it on, like, listen, is there something that you want to talk about? Yeah. And she know. I think she knows very well what he's getting at. He knows, she knows, but she doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. On the meta side, um, this is an interesting conversation, because obviously they're talking about the printer and how it prints all these copies and stuff. And I think this is an idealistic conversation between basically how men think and how women and it's really weird right because it's men aren't known for speaking together but i think the point with men is men are they tend to follow each other and tend to do the same thing as each other and betty's there peggy's there and she just wants to do her own but peggy's sort of like you know she is woman in this scene like she's like she is um representing all women and how women kind of have their own ideas and they know how to look after their own bodies they know how to deal with their own shit, right? And, you know, we talk about the photocopier and how there are all these different copies of, how it makes all these copies and all these things that are the same. And that's how um, Father Gill sees Peggy as just like another person that should be part of his fold. And she she's an individual on her own, in her own right, right? And she's, she's trying to hold on to that. Um, and she, he just, yeah, he just keeps needling her and sort of, Trying, and it, to me, it's like, remember we were talking about the, the name of the father and how that kind of um, tells people how to live their lives and sort of tells men how to sort of think and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's kind of a weird sort of abstract idea, but it's kind of just general rules on how to live your life. And I think Peggy, as well as um, Joan, who we'll talk about later, is trying to create her own rules. And she doesn't, she keeps rejecting the fact that Father Gil keeps telling her, you know, you can do all this stuff and you're a good person. It's like, she doesn't need him to do that because she knows what she wants. It's interesting. I don't know. I think it's really weird. I think you could read this scene so many ways. Okay. Like, because, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's because I see what you're saying about the whole, like, photocopying thing and, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think he... Because if you look at it from the, begin- from the beginning of the episode, he's like, please help us, please, please, please. Hmm. 
to the and then she's pretending that she has like you know a, a secretary or whatever mm. she's pretending to be this and then he's there and he's in the office and he's mm. seeing that she's in the office with a photocopier and that she doesn't have a receptionist oh, okay. and that she isn't and he's almost like seeing her not for like this this Brooklyn facade that she puts up where she's this big successful city uh, girl yeah. and that she's actually I mean she's still you know she's still doing well but doing she's well, not yeah. as intimidating yeah. as she comes across mm. based on all the pomp from her family and like all that pride and stuff and I think I almost see this and I think it's interesting because I actually don't think this guy is like a bad guy like I don't I think he's a if anything he, it's almost like he is the opposite to like Don yeah. in that he wants her to tell the truth. Yes, he says he wants her to tell the truth because, to be forgiven or whatever. Yeah. But he just wants her to be able to say because he's encouraging her to repeat. It would be so much easier for him to go, right, we'll just sweep it under the carpet. Yeah. Or whatever. God already knows what the, you know, what you've done or whatever it is. Mm. But actually, if she can just say it, then perhaps she really would be free right. if she can be able to be herself and oh, not be ashamed of who she is and all that kind of stuff. And I think there is a different way of reading that. I can see your way as well. I think mm. it's a, probably a bit of a combination. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's one thing at all. Yeah. I mean, I think... Um, I th- I, and I also think that if you th- look at it from a, a female Jewison's point of view, I think... I think Father Gill kind of has... That's his job is... I guess we can talk about this later, but that's his job is to kind of be selfless and to kind of find enjoyment in other people. Mm. But he's a dude, so yeah, we'll talk about so that. So he's, he's there to guide her and he's there to... I mean, yes, he has an ulterior motive, which is religion. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I genuinely think that he sort of sees something in her because he actively... Yeah, se- seeks her out. He makes her his project. Yeah, yeah, and it's that's really interesting. Hmm. All right, okay. so, shall we leave that there then? Yeah. How long has this been going on now? This has been going on for one hour and fourteen minutes. Okay. So it's not the longest still one pretty, we've done. Still doing pretty good. Um. So yeah, let's do the let's do let's do Joan. Oh, Joan. Joan spies an opportunity to be more than just office eye candy when Harry needs a hand, but cannot shake off her status as. Oh, I repeated myself twice there. <laughs> she cannot sh- shake off her status as just a sexy piece of ass, basically. <laughs> Which is, you know, Joan is... That's what she is. She looks awesome in this episode as well. She it's always just, looks awesome. I mean, she always looks awesome, but like when we see her at home and she still looks great at home. And like <laughs> I'm at home right now and I'm wearing like scrabby tracksuit bottoms and she's just there in her, with her little headscarf with the doctor. Lovely. And her pants on. And her pants on. Or in the pants in the house, in the relationship. Very true. <laughs> um, shall we start from the beginning? Well, I guess the beginning doesn't really... It's a weird beginning, isn't it? Because it doesn't involve Peggy at all. Um, it doesn't involve Joan at all. And it's just about... Um, what's Harry. They? Harry getting called into Doc's office to get shouted at, basically. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I like the fact that... So, one of the things that I didn't talk about, I haven't talked about yet, is the this idea of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when Harry is in Duck's office and Duck is just basically saying, you know, you haven't done all this stuff, he's not really... He, he Harry's just really anxious, you can tell. Did you get that? Yeah. Did you get that? And, um, and I like the fact that in the office, Duck doesn't know anything about um, Harry's job. 
he doesn't know anything about his department and he thinks there's loads of people running it and yeah, he's, yeah. He's, just shout, he's just shouting at um he's just shouting at him to sort of like sort it out and he says he's gonna gut his his whole operation and obviously he can't because there's no one else there apart from harry um but yeah that just starts things off and it starts off this whole idea of anxiety and like um anxiety well it's missed opportunity isn't it really what do you mean well they missed the opportunity with like the advert yeah it's sort of like feels a bit like you know they're not on the ball they're not yeah doing what they need to do what i was gonna say is anxiety is described by lacan as fear of not knowing what the other wants so if you don't know what someone else wants it kind of increases anxiety in you i mean yeah but i mean i think anxiety that anxiety is lots of things i know i know but <laughs> i don't think it's just as simple as not knowing i like i don't know what you want so i feel anxious i trunk i truncated what he means i, I don't fully like i said i'm not a massive expert on it but that's that's ultimately what it boils down to is um a fear of the unknown of the other uh, and he goes out into the he goes out to the rest of the big playroom where they all are and talks to the other guys and starts asking them if they can um, if they want to help him out do this job and then all of them turn him down um, and but this is where he says he wants to be a liaison which I found interesting so what he wants to do I, I mean he, he basically wants to be a go-between between someone who does all the work and the agency And he wants to be, and I think this is kind of where I was going with this whole idea of Betty and Don. Like Don is kind of like the liaison for Betty in a way. He's kind of, say liaison, it could be like spokesperson, but he's supposed to kind of defend her enjoyment. He's supposed to be there to kind of let Betty do what she wants to to be happy, right? Mm. And when he doesn't back her uh, and when she's not part of his life, He's not really defending her. He's kind of just, like you said, he's just using her. He's just kind of like she's an object. And that's why she gets pissed off. And that's kind of what um, happens here with um, with Harry and Joan. Do you want to talk about how... Um, is there anything you wanted to say about um, when uh, Harry's talking to all his mates around the table? No. I mean, I think it's just one of those where what's interesting, I think it's... Um... Is it Sal that says something like, you need to hire a junior, yeah. lie them on barbed wire, yeah, yeah. and run them over? <laughs> like when things go wrong, basically. Yeah, you need someone to blame. And that's, yeah, again, that's another thing that Don does with... Which best. is actually the wrong... Yeah, absolutely. It's actually the wrong way around, really. It's like the person who is the most power should, should be, be the one that's held responsible. Ex- exactly. And that doesn't um, happen, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then the next thing when that story is... Um, Roger coming to see um, Harry going into his office. Mm. Um, did you get that um, while Roger was there, he never, like, up until the very last line, he never, everything he says is a question. No. Every single thing he says is a question. It's like, and he's kind of like just trying to take in information and stuff, uh, which is just by the by. But I mean, also interesting is um, who the fuck is Mitch? Ah, yes. <laughs> I was like, for a while I thought they were saying Midge, and I was like, what? Is she involved? But no, it's saying Mitch. Yeah, Mitch, we never get to see Mitch. Well, we haven't seen him yet. <laughs> That's really funny. He seems to be like... Um... He was in that office. Like, who is that other guy? Like, I don't even know. So that that other guy, I can't remember his name. It's um, Warren. That's it. Warren. Um, he was in he was in another episode earlier. Um, 
And I just like the fact that when he comes in, Roger doesn't know who he is. Um, but then, then Joan comes to the office uh, to say hi to, to Harry. Yeah, to sit, well, where... to find out. Because she's like, oh, there's no extra staff. There's no extra bodies. You'll just have to, you know, figure it out or whatever. And then she hears what the task is. And yeah. she's like, oh, that could be interesting. And he basically bites a hand off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like this is this is the bit I want to talk about where Warren was kind of like, how do you do mm. that? Um, and the question, I guess, the answer to the question is like, um, uh, Harry isn't really trying to get anything out of her. He's just talking to her, and he's and he basically uh, lays out exactly what he's trying to do, and he's very clear with her, mm. very honest with her. Which obviously Don never is with um, Betty, and even um, uh, Father Gill isn't really with. Because um, like with Father Gill and 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 Peggy, Father Gill kind of sets this whole thing up. He puts this meeting in place and gets her to do all this stuff. And when it's finished, he goes, "Now tell me about uh, anything you want to tell me about." Mm. And it's kind of like, "Well, hang on a second, this wasn't part of the plan." And with um, Joan. Um, Harry basically lays out the plan and says, look, this is what I'm trying to do. And I think he, he gives her a lot of like options. And like some of the options, Joan throws away and says, oh, I don't really want to do that because mm. I'm not really sure what you're talking about there. But this part looks really interesting. Mm. I'm going to pick this part. And she takes that part. And that's the bit that she enjoys. That's the bit that she kind of like uh, connects with. Um, and he's like supposed to kind of defend that in a way, in the same way, like, you know, uh, Father Gill's supposed to defend um, Peggy and Don's supposed to defend Betty which are uh, yeah really good it's very sort of um, but what's also okay. interesting is how she deals with him what do you mean where, where he's like you look really nice today and she's just like thank you Warren and then just turns about like it's such a like he's just gone to her oh you know <laughs> Have you seen the the news this evening or whatever? I don't know. It's just well, it's he, very like she's so blasé with it. Cause she's so used to people treating her that way. Well, this is it. So like he doesn't. He clearly wants more, but he doesn't tell her that he wants more. He just kind of he just basically says you're really nice and expects her to kind of talk to him and mm. tell him everything. But he's not really saying anything other than you look really nice, which kind of shuts down the com- the conversation yeah, yeah. the conversation really quickly. Doesn't ask her any questions. No, though. he doesn't. Um, there's loads of stuff in this, oh, this scene. These guys. <laughs> the next part with Joan. Joan and the Doctor at home. Ah, oh, yes. Ah, yes, yes. So this is her future husband. Now, he says something like, manage those cravings. Is she pregnant or something? No, no. I, I, well, I think that, I think he's kind of, I think in the scene, he's basically saying, yeah, he's talking about when she is pregnant and then he's kind of, and she kind of like look, sat at home looking after the home and everything. But I think the meta of that, that sentence is, you know, like how sweets and sweet things uh, are, are like pleasures and they kind of help to sort of pacify people and mm. take their mind off what they want to be doing or what they should be doing or whatever. That's what he's talking about there, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, that whole scene is very much like you shouldn't be doing that because you should be looking for our dream house. And is that, was that some sort of like reference that I didn't get? Well, the no, Glenn Close or whatever. I, I, I'm sure I wrote about it somewhere. Because <laughs> um, he talks about that. He talks about she shouldn't be reading so much. She should be watching the stories, not reading them. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and then she he reminds her to get him his glass of water. Yes. Um, and I, I, it's a really interesting conversation because 
they talk about the coma. Oh yeah. They specifically talk about and like she and and Jones basically saying, is it? Do you think anyone could like you know just wake up from a coma and like find out that they've got an accent and all this stuff? And the guy's like, nah, that would never happen. And obviously, on a metaphorical level or a meta level, it's like that's exactly what Jones doing is like waking up from this kind of being uh... asleep sort of thing and just kind of like sleepwalking through life and finding her own kind of vocation and the stuff that she wants to do. Yeah. Um, and that's really really cool. Uh, I like the fact that um, she, yeah. So she kind of when the the whole scene starts with her kind of sat on the on the on the sofa and she's doing her work she's like doing this job that she's kind of been given or kind of taken on and he comes back and he says oh you didn't set the table and she's like no and i think that's kind of it shows how her thinking for herself is like kind of her taking him out of the equation a bit and just like not sort of focusing purely on him mm. and he doesn't like that obviously but she's still happy to do things for him she just wants to do her own thing as well um, what's interesting about buying the house as well is the fact that she says, like, you told me to stop looking. So it's like when she got into that relationship with him, there was this idea that she was going to buy a house and they were going to settle down and he was going to take care of everything. But something changed. Mm. And now she found out that he's not actually ready to buy a house yet. And actually, he needs to do his tra- teacher tra- his, mm. his training as a doctor. Yeah, so he's not actually a do- he wasn't actually a doctor. Yeah, she thought he was. Yeah, and like, and now she's kind of, and it's interesting that they're that she's working on this show called As the World Turns because mm. with time, like things change and like you have different. Um, oh, I feel like this is going to end badly for Joe. <laughs> but it's like it, it's the really, fake doctor. It's really interesting how we've barely seen we haven't actually seen this guy i think we've seen the doctor but we haven't seen this guy playing the doctor and and it's funny that you know i think the theme of this scene the specific scene is about how things change mm. and the fact that the doctor was a totally different person the last time we saw him yeah now he's now he's like this new person yeah yeah because <laughs> um, it's like i you know um i don't think normally matthew weiner you know stickler for kind of attention to detail would normally let that go but i think he let it go because of the scene and what it's about yeah that's really cool um and then you know that scene kind of ends with um this doctor just sat there by himself um while um betty goes off to joan goes off (laughs) joan goes off to to make some food and and she's getting water. She's getting him water. She went to go and get water. Yeah, but I can't remember what the scene after that is. Um, oh god, I can't. I can't find it now. But there's a weird. There's a, it. Kind of cuts to a scene which kind of in, informs that scene. Um, oh, that's it. It's when. Um, yeah. So the next scene after that is when um, uh, Don's sitting on the sofa by himself while um, uh, Betty cleans Carl up and, Car- and Betty put the clean up. Yeah. Uh, but the next time we see Joan is the meeting with the client, and this I, this was a hard one. I by the by this time, I, let's just let the listeners know like, when I like you know <laughs> Helen watches a show and kind of like it retains all the information like effortlessly, um, but I'm sort of like going through every word and and 
to begin with, it's okay. But like towards the end of the episode, I'm literally just flagging. Like I can't, I never want to see another Mad Men episode as long as I live. So by the time it got to this, by the time it got to uh, Jones meeting with the client, I was kind of flagging. So, but it's still a really, really interesting meeting. Um, I think it's a lot. I think the meeting, or, or the scene has a lot to do with um, women and how they've kind of taken on um, tasks in the world. Because they talk specifically about um, that guy, the client's wife and his daughter. Mm. And they say that thing about how the wife, uh, the, the daughter um, has been missing uh, classes at college because of her stories. Mm. And I took that to mean like, you know, the stories that we tell kids are all about... I know, it's like what they call TV shows. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know it means TV shows as well, and I, I, I know that that's the double me. I'm, I'm just taking this as the meta meaning and stuff. Like, the, the stories that we tell um, kids, you know, and this whole gender thing of, like, you know, we tell kids to... We tell girls to stay in the kitchen and sort of play with dolls and all that kind of stuff. And we tell men to kind of play cops and robbers and stuff like that. And... Then he says about his wife that his wife has um his wife's brought the TV home, so like everything that and she's he's a, he's referring to the fact that this girl had a TV at college and she's brought it home, but in the meta, um, it's like taking the taking what's in television, taking all the images and all media and all this kind of the idea of how we're supposed to live our lives and bringing that into our lives and sort of like living. Um, according to what the media tells us to do, uh, I've just talked a lot. Do you want to say anything? <laughs> I mean, I think there's a, a real. I think again, it kind of echoes back to the whole Betty scenario, where they're like, "Oh, we did this experiment where we, rather than just asking women, mm. we just did this experiment yeah. to see how they like they are, you know, an alien species. We just wanted to see what they would do, yeah. rather than just asking them the question." Yeah. And I think. You know, at this point with uh, Joan, you really see, you know, they both the the clients are talking about their, you know, particular experiences. Um, but I think you get from Joan, and she understands straight away that it's going to be a big hit because of the emotional connection that women will have to this. Yeah. And it echoes back to what you said before: <clears throat> is it's like, you know, housewives don't buy beer because of where it's located in the store or like whatever they'll do something because of the emotional, you know, your whatever de jour you called it. Yeah. Of like trying, <laughs> to, trying to please someone else. Um, <laughs> you know, and they do it for that emotional link. They do it because it makes someone else happy. Yeah, yeah. Or they'll also do something because it, it gives them some sort of, has some sort of emotional reaction yeah. for them. And actually the advert being placed there is just that they'll get more people to see it because women are invested in this program because of the emotional thing. And actually, you know, you'll just get more people to see it that way. And it's a real opportunity because of that. It's not an opportunity because there's some sort of weird correlation between what's happening in the episode and yeah. like yeah. the product. Yeah. It's actually just because there'll be a lot of people watching. Um, you know, we've missed out a scene. Which one? We missed out the scene when um, <clears throat> Harry is showing two people around 
Oh, that's only their brief though. And oh, she's but that's, I think that's important. <laughs> I mean, it's important because they're like, oh, you're actually working on it. All right. Well, it's important also because it brings up the idea of transference. Um, so transference is this thing. It brings up the idea of transference and the idea of subject supposed to know, right? And these are, again, Lacanian terms. Uh, and then, And so what happens is... Like these guys, they're all asking. Um, they're all asking um, Harry about like you know if he knows um, what the baby's gonna be like and and all this kind of stuff about like stuff that he should know. And he's kind of like, I don't know any of that. And this guy says to him, um, "You need to, you need to not worry about that stuff, or else you'll go crazy." And the thing about the subject supposed to know is it's it's like. Take the idea of a authority figure, or I guess the best example is a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. You go and see a therapist, and you sit with them, and you talk to them. The reason um, you have this relationship with them is because you, as a, um, a patient or whatever, Alessand, um, um, project onto them this idea of them knowing lots of stuff that you need to know. And the fact is, they don't. But the only the reason it works is because you project this idea that they can help you out in some sort of way. And then what happens is you tell them lots of stuff and you get out, you get out all your feelings that you push onto someone else that should know, like say for instance, you have a bad relationship with your mother or father or whatever. You take all those feelings that you should be telling to them and transport them to this um, therapist who then takes that in, but doesn't react to it. So mm. the only reaction you really have is your own. Mm. And you know, you're the only person that really knows what you need. And that's how the subject's supposed to know works in therapy. Um, and that whole process, that whole idea of seeing someone as an uh, authority figure is transference. Not the actual process of, of the information, but the actual fact that you, there's someone in the room who can take all your emotional baggage that is transference. As far as I understand it, I'm not fully sure if I'm 100% correct on it. But that's what's happening in that scene with those two guys. Because essentially, when Peggy, when Joan turns up and shakes the guy's hand and all that kind of stuff, they all of a sudden they go from being kind of like, you know, interested to just being like really impressed and like mm. really sort of trusting the process. And what the first thing that Joan says to them is... Um, she said, oh, she said something about, like, is it all better now? Almost like she's like a mother sort of figure. And they kind of, like, they put their trust in her almost because she's, like, very maternal and very sort of, you know, they trust that she's going to look after them. So that's kind of transference. And that's why I thought that, even though it's a really short kind of scene, I still think it's quite important. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just didn't get any of that. <laughs> Honestly, Lacan makes it hard for people. Have you ever read anything by no. Lacan? I, I look up, I, honestly, this is a challenge for anyone. Look up a, a fucking paragraph from Lacan and try to get to the end of it in one scene. <laughs> like, literally, it doesn't have to be a long paragraph. Just like, you know, 15 words. It makes no fucking sense. <laughs> it's so hard to understand. And yet, and people yet. still... <laughs> um, yeah, and then we've done, so we've done the, um, we've done the meeting with the client, haven't we? Um, I guess we get to the, the tragic end of it all um, when Joan lo- when Joan well, finds well, out. She walks in and she's been replaced by the junior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who 
you know, she's not going to be the person who's railroaded. Um, it's going to be someone else, even though she did a really good job. Yep. Yep. That's good. But I think that's the thing is I think, you know, Harry would have got the credit for that no matter who Mm. had done it. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? And that's what, that's what ultimately matters to him. Yeah. It's not actually who did, whether someone did a good job or whether deserving of an opportunity. It's how it reflects on yourself. I like how the epi- uh, I like how that scene starts with um, Harry's friend telling the story about blowing up bridges, <laughs> and then Jen walks in, <laughs> blowing up bridges. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I I missed that. <laughs> I think I think I sometimes like zone out a little bit of like the when they have like the idle chit chat, which probably means stuff in Mad Men. That's the bit. That's the bit where I sort of zone out for a minute and look at my phone or whatever. That's that's. I think that's the great thing about it. Like there's all these little incident things that tell you what's going on in the scene. You don't have to listen to them, but they just kind of make it more kind of... They fill it out of it. I just have the attention span of a fly. So there's... In that that scene, um, Joan kind of makes a speech. um, And it's basically when when she's talking about... She's trying to explain how to do the job to to these guys that are Mm. just taking it. She's really sort of gutted about it. She's really sort of trying to hide her emotions and stuff. They don't know how she feels. Um, but it's really interesting because I think, I think, I'm not 100% sure about I think that that speech that she makes is kind of how the show, how the writers portray women in the show. Uh, so I'll read it to you and see what okay. you think. Um, she says, as she's explaining the job, she says, it's really just reading the scripts, all of them, and then looking through the storylines to see if there's any possible benefits to our clients how their products may be portrayed to their advantage and of course get in the cooperation of the networks and we, we talked about whether this show is like a feminist show um and you know i said it was when i when we first started and i've kind of like gone back and forth on that and like whether it's purely a feminist show or whether it's like doing other things i think this that to me that kind of passage kind of suggests that they're definitely kind of or proves that they're definitely looking at it from hmm. that point from one of those point of views not maybe it's still not like the main thing but there will be episodes like this which are like i think this episode is a very feminist episode i'm not saying like every single one of the episodes is but i think this episode definitely is a feminist episode um but yeah i just think uh i just thought what well, did you have anything to say about that did you no, I mean, I think it's interesting because of all the... So, I mean, we've seen, you know, collectively, we've seen Betty stand up for herself properly for the first time. Yeah. We've seen Peggy, she doesn't stand up for herself, but she refuses to put herself or to do what a man is trying to force her to do. Yeah. Um, she refuses to engage with it. Mm-hmm. Be that man a priest, be it God, be it whoever. Um, name of the father well, exactly but with Joan it's quite interesting because of all the women she's the most outspoken normally yeah she's the one who'll go and threaten you know Jane or whatever and mm. you know proper come down on it but she she's almost as stuck in her role as as Betty is and I think with her it's very difficult that she is that it's just a shame that she didn't sort of ask why she wasn't 
oh yeah being totally. considered that's, that's a very or, good point yeah. you know and I think that's what's interesting about ha- Harry doesn't even consider her as a candidate <laughs> he doesn't he, at the end of the thing she, she walks out and he just <laughs> leans back with his mug in his mouth and yeah yeah really but that's what I mean is it's that she did all that work read all those scripts and it didn't help her one little bit just saying that now about um, about Harry drinking I I assume he's drinking coffee I need to put this in my glossary, but like coffee, I think the whole point of coffee, the symbolism of coffee is it's a youth thing and it's kind of, it symbolizes youth. Mm. And because that guy that she, that they hired looks really, really young. Mm. And if you think about the implications of that, it means that now, it's like you said before, like the, uh, an opportunity missed, like they had an opportunity to kind of um, introduce women into the workplace in, in, a really strong way like listening to the commentary from Matthew Weiner that Matthew Weiner and, and Robin Vite actually are talking about the fact that the job that essentially the um, um, uh, Joan invents um, goes on to be basically the people who have that job go on to run studios like mm. run film studios this is like she's basically invented a way of making men powerful and has then been kicked out the door, uh, and that's you know it is a, it's a, it's a youth thing. It's it started a whole new gen. It's like a whole new generational thing. It's like she, you know, I keep talking about um, master signifiers and like these the, the 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 start of something. That's basically what Joan is, and I feel like that's what all the women are in this episode, or, or all the women are in this show. Are I think that's how the show sees women is is as master signifiers, but then get kind of pushed out of the way um, because men kind of... It's like... Well, it's the the feeling of it in this episode is that all the men want things to be the same. Yes, or, yes. And, you know, and women are progressive. Yes. Women are, you know, trying new things career-wise. Women are, you know, walking away from religion. Women are... You Using know, their imaginations. Exactly. Things that nobody else can see. It's kind of like, oh, I'll just try out this thing and then it becomes this whole thing. But then because someone can see it, i.e. the men, they can see it, they sort of grab it and go, okay, this has now become a thing. Name of the father sort of thing. It becomes part of um, culture. And then, but then they only let men into that kind of thing. Well, they, they stick with the tradition, which yeah. is this is how things have always been done. We'll take that, we'll take that, and we'll take that. Yeah, yeah. But women, you know, Joan is um, associated with the whole way by the way that she looks and like that's her appeal and that's yeah. the thing that she's known for. So they don't give her the credit. That so she they deserves. don't think about it. It's, it's never about the brain, it's never about the person that's inside. She's just always the smoking hot secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is just kind of like, I think it's a bit sad that she doesn't. And I think that whole speech is really interesting because then at the end, the junior guy's like, oh, but you'll be around if we, <laughs> if we need you, right? And she's just like, yeah, of course. I mean, I would have told them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> but, um, but she doesn't say anything because she doesn't... She doesn't want to upset the, the, what's it, the car or whatever. And even though she's seen it with Peggy, yeah. I think she can't quite see it for herself. Yeah. And I think that's... Well, Joan is in a way kind of like, she's almost she's almost like the spokesperson for the men. She kind of, like she, not on purpose, but like she, because she grew up where she's made, she's made the way that she's treated, she kind of used it in a positive way for herself. 
she doesn't necessarily want to change that thing, but now she's trapped within it, if mm. that makes any sense. She's kind of trapped within this um, patriarchy world that she can't get out of, that she's kind of excused because she's known how to use it, and now she wants something more. Um, have you got anything else to say about that? Um, no. Okay, that's good. I we'll... think I'm done. Well, no, you're not. Oh, oh God. <laughs> There's, got, more. We've got There's more. We've got to finish. We've got to talk about the very final uh, montage. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I had some theories on this, actually. Go so, on. no, I'm not done either. Cool. Right. So, all women have them. All right. <laughs> probably got a bigger one on this one. But okay. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't just take my top off just so you all know. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I was just showing the indent from my from my bra strap. There is one. But yeah, there is. Um, but yeah, that's obviously the weight of being a female <laughs> and how it lays heavy on you and what you want and what your dreams are, etc., etc. I, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's kind. Of, I, I think that's kind of evident, right? So you yeah. can see that on all the women that they're, they're very kind of put up on at the end of the episode and we know that the episode's about these women but what do you think about um father gill playing the guitar what about peggy's bath baptism oh i never even thought about that uh, that's a good point. but that's her own baptism exactly she's ah, baptizing herself that's very good it's good isn't that it? is very good <laughs> <laughs> that's very yes. i didn't i didn't notice that um, and then I, I, Father Gale, I was just because I thought he was. Do you know what I thought was going to happen when he took his guitar? I thought he was going to like start like rocking out to like, some like heavy metal or some shit. But no, then he started playing a Jesus song, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's Peter, Paul, and Mary apparently. Um, that um, to me, that's kind. Of, so what we see is we see all these girls, and they kind of like like we said, there's this female Jewish thing where you do the work for the very point of just doing the work you enjoy the work there's no kind of payoff at the end of it um and i think we look at um the 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 priest and he kind of does the work for doing the work as well but at the same time he's a dude and he also needs that payoff that payoff for him the enjoyment he actually gets the 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 sorry the the what's the word object of desire this is just my theory i could be totally wrong but the option of desire is he just getting that kind of release at the end of the day to play his guitar and just kind of enjoy himself and sort of like take it all in. But what's really interesting is we see Don, uh, and I'll explain, uh, to describe what you see is you see Don at work drinking a beer on his own. Mm. And it looks like a... A Heineken. A Heineken. And it looks like a sad, very lonely existence. I don't know if you've got the music, happy music in the background. Mm. I don't know if he's sad. I actually think that's what he really wants. I think it's, yeah, it's more con- contemplative, isn't it? It's yeah, more like, he's more like, what do I do now? Rather than it being like, on gutted. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of, he seems kind of, yeah, not in his element, not in his element, but just kind of, yeah, pretty relaxed. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I think, and I also think that's a little bit because she told him what she wanted him to do. What do you mean? She said to you, I don't want to see you. Oh, right, Don't yeah. come home. So he didn't have a choice in the matter. He didn't have a choice. Right. He didn't have to guess what right. she was thinking yeah, yeah. or feeling or he didn't have to lie. There's no... Mm. I think it's almost a sense of relief a little bit because yeah, yeah, he definitely. finally understood where she was at. That's a good point, yeah. That's um, really good. Mm. 
Which, you know, the, the previous night he'd come home and she'd been like wearing a dress that she'd had on for 24 hours with a bloody foot um, surrounded by his suit. So I think he was probably a little bit relieved that he didn't have to go home and see that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, there. There we go. So, um, so what do you think of that? That was, that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. Is there anything else you want to say about this episode? Anything we missed? I'm sure no, I, I mean, obviously, the, a lot of fashion. I, did, I enjoyed Peggy's gingham, the gingham dress at the beginning, <coughs> and you know, Joan at home was a good, was a nice treat. And obviously, there were some good clothes in this episode, is what I'm. Uh, there was, wasn't there? Getting at. Yeah. Yeah. As not to mention a some kind of knot. <laughs> <laughs> the Bohemian knot. Look a it bre- up. A beret. What? What? Bohemian knot. Sorry. Bohemian. Right, yeah. Bohemian knot. So there we go. Um, so. Get in touch if you want to get in touch. Get in touch if you know what Cool Whip is. That's a fine tweeze. <laughs> Please. And all that's left to say is... Don't forget, everyone. Sopranos is even better. Oh, that's a question. Oh, oh, oh my God. That's a whole other episode. See you later, guys. Bye.